<laughs> it feels weird to be back up here, but I'm glad. So I want to talk about bodies today. Uh, somebody tell me, or raise your hand if you have unexplained pains in your body. Yeah. Uh, do you know that we have seven unexplained pains in our body a day? Did you know that? Things we can't explain, seven of them a day. So like that uh, joint ache, that brief headache, eye twitch, whatever it might be, we have seven things we cannot explain about our body that happen in one day. Um, I don't know about you. When I get those things, I tend to ignore them. You guys ignore them? Yeah. And then they happen again, and I ignore it again. And then the third time they happen, I'm like, oh, this is kind of an issue. Like, uh, maybe I should go to the doctor. But we don't go to the doctor, right? No. Why would we go to somebody who knows what they're talking about? No, we go to WebMD, don't we? That's what we do. We go to WebMD and we're like, oh, I got some joint pain, I got a brief headache, got an eye twitch, and then it asks, like, are you fatigued? And you're like, yeah. It has nothing to do with last night, it has everything to do with the fact that I'm sick. So you type in on fatigue and it's like, sure enough, I have scurvy. There we go. Like, I knew it. Uh, and then we still don't go to the doctor, we post it on Facebook and hope somebody brings us food. That's what we do. Um, because our bodies are these things that we're really insecure about. We actually don't want to go to a doctor because we don't want to find out what's really going on with our bodies. Our bodies are our greatest insecurities. And so as I talk about bodies today, I'm going to talk about some passages that remind me the most of WebMD, okay? And that is Leviticus 13 and 14. You guys all know Leviticus 13 and 14, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. What's it about? <laughs> I'll tell you what it's about. There are a lot of verses, a lot of verses in Leviticus 13 and 14 that are about skin ailments and about the types of skin ailments you can have. And if you have a certain skin ailment, what to do about it. And in fact, all these skin ailments, they get all wrapped up into one word, and that word is leprosy. Okay, so Leviticus 13 and 14 are a bunch of verses, and I'll let you read it on your own, that talk all about leprosy. So I'll read a little bit for you, the important parts. It's Leviticus 13, 45, and 46. And it says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as they have this disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must, must live outside of the camp. Now that sounds pretty harsh, right? You're alone. You are by yourself. You cannot make friends. I dare one of you right now to go out to Atlantic Avenue and start shouting, unclean, unclean, and see how many friends you make. My guess is none. All right, so that's an issue, okay? But before we start to make harsh judgments on what's going on here, we have to understand what Leviticus is, okay? What Leviticus is, and I'm oversimplifying just a little bit, but what it is is a constitution or a set of guidelines for the Israelites who were just freed from slavery, okay? That's what it is. We're looking at a set of guidelines. Um, and so if you are just freed from slavery and you want to become a strong and mighty nation, a nation that grows and thrives, you set guidelines up. And Leviticus are your guidelines. And so it makes sense if you want to become a strong and mighty nation and somebody has a skin disease or something that's going on with their bodies, it makes sense to be quarantined, doesn't it? It makes a lot of, If somebody here has a stomach virus, you need to go home. Like, you need to be quarantined. We still do that. For us to grow and thrive, there's quarantines that happen. Now, uh, what it talks about as well is are the priests. So what the priests must do if you have leprosy, and what the priests must do is they must uh, sacrifice an animal, put blood on your appendages, wait a week, and if your uh, scabs are healing the way they should be, then another animal is sacrificed, and blood goes in your home, and blood goes on the priest, and everybody is considered okay. Now, that sounds a little religious as well, but it's not. It's actually scientific. So archaeologists have discovered that many of the Near East nations, including Israel, this is how they would handle skin disease, with the blood of animals. So what we have, when we're reading these verses on leprosy, is we have a very scientific 
political, socio-cultural guideline on how to grow and thrive as a nation. And when someone is sick, as hard as it is, we quarantine that person, right, until they're better. That's all we're reading. Now, it takes a drastic and giant turn for the worse. And I'm going to read for you where it takes a drastic and giant turn for the worse. It takes a drastic and giant turn for the worse in the book of Numbers. And this is what it says. It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. That is straight gossip. Like, dang, he married a Cushite. Can you believe? Oh, she's Cushite. Hmm. Like, that's what it is. That's what's going on here. God's really upset with the gossip. And so what God says is he tells uh, Miriam and Aaron to come out of their tent, and it says, the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. So do we see that there is a drastic shift in the narrative? Before, if you had this leprosy, this skin disease, you just had it. And you know, for the sake of the good of growing and thriving, you left for a little bit, but you were able to come back into your family, into your community. Now, the connotation around this skin disease is different. Now it's because of disobedience. Now it's because of gossip. Now you have this skin disease because God is angry with you. That is a giant, giant shift, right? From who God makes you to be to now you're losing a bit of humanity because God is angry. And so as you read the different rabbis throughout the thousands of years that we've had numbers, uh, this is what one of the rabbis says. He says, rabbis delivered from the laws of leprosy a moral lesson. The person guilty of slander or libel, they regarded leprosy primarily as a divine punishment for this evil, an interpretation which receives historical support by the punishment of Miriam for her slander of Moses. Okay. But among the other sins which brings leprosy as retribution are the shedding of blood, taking oaths in vain, incest, arrogance, robbery, and envy. So now, when you get leprosy and you are quarantined, it's not so so your nation can grow and thrive, it's because you are a robber. You are a rapist. You are a cheat. You are a liar. You are an adulterer. You're a slanderer, right? These are the reasons that you are now, uh, you know, put off, off to the side. These are the reasons that you're outside of the camp. Your leprosy is an outward appearance of your sin, of your disobedience. And so what happens when this happens is we are taking away people's humanity. We're saying you are less than human because God is upset with you. Now, in order for us to get some context, what if one of us came to church today? I came to church today, my eye is really bothering me. I think I have pink eye. Um, Fingers crossed. Um, No, no, no. But what if I came in, and you guys looked in my eye, and immediately you all started whispering, you were like, Jonathan cheated on something. Like, you were like, Jonathan robbed somebody. And because you knew, if you have a bad eye, that's because God is mad at you. And this is like, all of a sudden, there's a stigma. So even if you are healed, there's still a certain social stigma that you have to deal with where people are like, that person did something to make God angry. So for thousands of years, there is a loss of humanity, a loss of being declared that you are made in the image of God when leprosy happens. Not because it's just a disease that you have, but because there is a sin attached to that disease, which brings us all the way to Jesus. So by the time we get to Jesus, we get Luke 17, 12 through 19. And as Jen read, I'll read it again. It says this. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. 
and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There's a lot going on in this passage, a whole lot. And so as I sat down a couple weeks ago to write this message, I was like, man, there's a lot. What am I going to write about? And what I could write about is something I said a couple months ago. When Jesus heals the leper, Jesus is upending social structures. That is good news, right? Because Jesus is constantly telling people on the inside that they're out and telling people like, people like the lepers on the outside that they're in, upending social structures. That's a good thing. I also love that there's a Samaritan in this story. If you remember, I've said a bunch of times, Israelites and Samaritans, they are arch enemies. Like, they call each other dogs, right? That's how bad it is. Um, and it's apropos to say uh, it'd be like Americans in ISIS. It's like that much animosity. And so what happens is Jesus is healing a Samaritan, which is beautiful because the picture that we get is Jesus is saying, hey, this gospel message, my message is not just for the Israelites, it's for everybody. Samaritans included, your enemies included. Good news, right? But as I prayed through this message, as I thought about this message, as I continue to think about this message, the thing that strikes me is something that I struggle with, and my guess is most of us here struggle with this. It's bearing the image of sin in and with our bodies. Like I said, our bodies are some of the most insecure things that we, well, the thing that we own, right? It's, it's our biggest insecurity. Our bodies oftentimes are the things in which we say, I bear a sin and you can see it right here. It's on me. Scarlet letter, bearing the image of sin on your body. So I thought about that. I thought of what it meant to bear the image of sin on body. And I look up here and I stand up here and I can tell you three or four things right off the bat that I really do not like about myself. But I am hard pressed to tell you one thing I do like about myself. How many people are with me? Most people are with me. We are insecure about our bodies. Our bodies bring about the most insecurity. Our bodies fail us physically. Now, there was one time when I tore all my ligaments playing basketball and I was super super depressed because I couldn't do anything, just hobbling around. But seriously, our bodies are failing us. There's a sickness that threatens our existence. There's a pain that we have uh, that that won't go away. There's something that that stops us from living life to the fullest. There's um, something in our body that wasn't, that was, is not working the way it was designed to work. And there's maybe even an outward something on our body. And so we conceal and we cover up and we fold our arms and we don't go out because our bodies are the source of our greatest insecurity. And every time we cover up and do that thing, we're denying our humanity. Maybe some of us have been abused. Our bodies have been abused. And there's great shame there. That shame is a lie, but the shame is there nonetheless. And it says that our bodies are broken. They've been abused and I have shame because of it. Somehow I deserve that. We're bearing sin on our bodies. That's what we think. I'm going to fall woefully short here, so bear with me. But as a man, I'm here to say that for thousands of years, women's bodies, women's bodies have been made the source of insecurity. For thousands of years, there's been a patriarchy that says women's bodies aren't, are, 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 they're not they're humans, they're that. What do you think of that? What about that, right? These are the things that we say, and I stand up here as a man, and I say that we've done a terrible job of creating security for women's bodies, and that we can do much better. As a, as a father of two daughters, I joke around with people. People joke around with me. Oh, you should get a shotgun for, you know, protect your daughters. And it's like, no, I don't want to protect my daughter's bodies. What I want to do is tell them they're made in the full image of God and tell other people they're made in the full image of God. Then nobody needs shotguns. It just works that way. We can do a better job 
of affirming the bodies of women. I'm here to tell you that we, me, many of us in this room have been a part or perpetuated slavery. The oppressing of bodies because of color or ethnicity or whatever other reason it might be. And so we've, we've built our nation on the backs of slaves. We've built our nation on the back, backs of immigrants, of people who generally are not white. And what we've said is we've said those bodies are bodies that we can use, but they have no names. We do not affirm their humanity. I think Christianity has done a difficult and often poor job when it comes to bodies. I would dare say that a lot of times we put sexual sin way up here at the top, and it's way bigger than every other sin. The bodily sin is our biggest sin, so we feel shame when we're attracted to somebody else. We feel shame when we want to find pleasure in our bodies. We feel shame uh, when, when you know, we look at someone and we say, oh my gosh, that's a really beautiful person, but oh my, the church has told me to be ashamed of that, and there's uh, a lot of pain that happens there. We're especially, especially in pain when we're same-sex attracted to somebody, and we've been told that we are not fully human. God has not designed us that way. There's pain in our bodies, which is there. And so when I look at this story and I look at Jesus and I look at these lepers, I think, you know, maybe this is a stretch, but in some way we are all lepers. We are all bearing scars and bearing insecurity and bearing pain and bearing shame. And we are all standing outside. And here's what Jesus does. Well, here's what God does, right? God shows up and God says, you want to know my true character? You want to know who I've been the entire time? You want to know what I really believe? It's not the, the Miriam and Aaron and gossip. That's, that's not who I am. And so in the form of Jesus, I come and I restore full humanity to people who have been told that they don't have it. I restore full humanity to people who have been told that I'm angry with them. I restore full humanity to people who are told that they're sick because they have sinned. I restore full humanity to you because we are image bearers of a divine God. And every single time we can restore humanity to somebody else, we are loving God. So what does that look like? Because we're a part of it. We get to heal. We get to heal the way God heals. How do we heal? How do we restore people to understanding that they are the image bearer of the divine God? Well, first of all, you have to acknowledge humanity. One of the saddest things I've read in the past couple years, probably, was about soldiers who uh, liberated a concentration camp. When they liberated it, <clears throat> there were people who were so weak that they, they were defecating on themselves. There was a child who was choking on their own saliva because their body forgot how to work. There was people that were eating worms, and there was a piece of bread right next to them, and they said they were eating worms because they forgot what food actually looked like and what it was. And this author went on to say, um, the job of the oppressor, the job of the oppressor is to take away our humanness. The job of the oppressor is to tell us that we are less than. The job of the oppressor is to tell us that we don't deserve the bodies we have, that we are not made in the image of God. Our job is to restore humanity for one another. We restore humanity by doing this simple thing, by saying they become we. Because when we're taking away people's humanity, what do we do? We say, well, they do this. They're the ones over there, whatever, you know, whatever it might be. They, what if they became we? There's a woman I know, and like many of us, I believe, she was afraid of, of people that had AIDS, and then she went on this missions trip for, for two months. Her only job was to hug children who had AIDS, who were AIDS orphans. And for two months, that's what she did. She hugged these kids, and it changed her life, and they became we. 
humanity was restored to its fullness. They were the divine image bearers of God. A pastor tells a story where the pastor says that a woman walked into his office and she walks in and she says, listen, I want to kill myself. And he says, why? And she says, well, I'm a prostitute. I'm done. I'm tired. I have a daughter. I think that my family could take care of my daughter, but I just need to tell somebody. And he says, well, what's your daughter's name? She says, my daughter's name is Faith. He said, right then and there, this was a mother and a daughter, a sister. He said, this woman is fully made in the image of God, and they becomes we. It's not about them, it's about us fully restoring each other as images of the divine creator. My dad, five years ago, my dad came out as transgendered. And I didn't know about trans rights. I didn't know what that meant. I don't know if I cared, if I'm being very honest with people. And yet, all of a sudden, my dad is there before me. And regardless of everything I think or was going to think or any opinion that I had, as my dad, a human being, stands before me, I have a choice to make. Is my dad fully made in the image of God? And I said, Dad, you're made in the image of God. They become we. They become we. That is how we heal That is how we heal. This is how we restore humanity. This is how we do that. And you know what? I'll tell you right now, it cannot happen until we heal ourselves. This is the best part of the story. The best part of the story for me in this whole thing is when the lepers actually cry out. They cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have pity on us. Because what they've recognized is that they are not meant to bear the burden of the sin upon their body. They're not made to be half of a human. They're not made to lose their humanity. God has affirmed them as divine creation in the fullness of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God. And they knew that. And so they're like, God, you can restore. You can bring back our humanity. Have mercy on us. And it happens. And it starts with us. As we sit here and we bear the burden of our bodies, we bear the scars of our body, the shame of our body, the insecurity of our bodies, are we willing to remember, to say, to pray, God, restore us to be the divine image bearers, or to be the image bearers that, that you've created us to be? And that's what I want us to practice. They cannot become we until we heal ourselves until we allow God to heal us. So as we look in the mirror this week and we say, you know what, I'm not good enough. My body will never be good enough. I want you to remember that it is a lie. You are the image bearer of the divine God. And as you deal with depression and you deal with the anxiety that comes from abuse of your body, I want you to remember and to pray, God, this is a long road, it's a long journey, but I am indeed the image bearer of a divine God. And every single time that we are told that we are less than and we lose a bit of our humanity this week because of somebody else or something somebody says or does, we remember that it is a lie. We are the image bearers of a divine God. And every time somebody says, well, you're gay and, you know, I don't know about this and, and, you know, you don't belong here. No, you are the image bearer of a divine God. And every time that we have the opportunity, the choice to take away someone else's humanity, let's remember that they become we. We are all image bearers of the divine God. We're all these lepers crying out of one way or another, have mercy on us. And God says, Jesus is here. We're going to take communion, body broken, blood shed, a body that is sacrificed so that we can remember that we are in union with God, fully, 100% secure in the fact that we divine image bearers of the infinite and unimaginable God. That is the good news that we remind ourselves of today.
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we repent of our insecurities, we repent of our shame, we repent of the way we treat others. We repent of thoughts and ideas that we have of the other. And we're reminded that we are all image bearers of you. We're all created in your image. And allow us to live that way, to restore your kingdom, to allow your kingdom to come and allow us to be vessels through which it happens. Allow us to know that we are loved fully, made fully by you. And allow us to rest in that throughout the week. We pray this in your name.